Love is in the air. Do 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 do. Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. Oh, that was beautiful. I'm Hamish. Don't I deserve love and jewelry, steel? And I'm Jade. Above all things, I believe in love. Oh, Rose. And while Valentine's Day is behind us, there uh, there's still some love in the air, as Hamish just so beautifully sang. Um, because in today's episode, we're talking about romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, as always, from a queer perspective. But we're going to do a little quick catch-up before... Well, I say catch-up, quick geek-out yeah. uh, before we get into today's topic. So... Shall I, shall yes, I go first? Yes, okay. you go first. Well, I I thought I'd mention it in today's romance episode because uh-huh. uh, my husband Justin and I have become quite invested in a Korean romantic supernatural comedy drama on Netflix <laughs> called Oh My Ghost. Um, after Googling it, I've heard some places it's called Oh My Ghostess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really fascinating. We've never really watched anything like this before. Okay. Um, and it's kind of fascinating just watching a show. Um, like, you know, I've, I've watched shows from other countries before. I've, I mean, also living in the UK, almost all the shows you watch are American. But, yeah. Um, watching a show with just like a completely different pace and sense of what's uh, dramatic mm-hmm. um, is really fun, and uh, so the, the 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 problem is I cannot say the premise without it sounding incredibly dark and yeah. horrible. Okay, I tried to make a tweet about it, and I kept typing out. I'm going like, no, this makes it sound horrible. <laughs> um, essentially, the premise is about a ghost who died a virgin mm-hmm. who wants to possess women to sleep with men. That definitely does sound a bit creepy. Sounds pretty problematic. Ding, in the jar, which mm-hmm. we don't have. But she has not actually achieved this yet. Right. And uh, she possesses the... She's a very uh, out there, wild child. Oh, okay. But she possesses this very sad and shy and depressed okay. little um, a kitchen assistant. All right. Who has a huge crush on the head chef who oh, no. doesn't even see her. Oh, and then when she becomes possessed by this wild child, finally he kind of acknowledges her. Um, and it sounds, it's so tropey and so like romantic. Yeah. Um, but that's just, I can't get past the fact that it's genuinely sweet and moving. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. Um, the, it's, it's mostly we love it because the actress who plays the possessed girl who's yeah. the main character so essentially she's playing two, two characters yeah. is so good yeah and like I've I've seen many shows of people getting possessed yeah at no point I can't even like I thought they'd change the actress at some point oh, because wow. like it's that her just whole switch. posture and everything is so different well that's amazing I mean part of that's possibly because she's playing quite extremes yes but, but still um her name is uh, Park Bo Young, uh-huh. and we've become so uh, enamoured with her that we've already added um, another show of hers that's on Netflix to our list. Cool. Where she basically plays Jessica Jones and is like a superpowered strong person. That sounds amazing. Um, and she's just really funny, and like she plays like 
the the shy version of her is she's in this tiny little um closet apartment and she yeah. writes a food blog anonymously that the head chef, chef is a massive fan of but they don't know oh, no. um, and then her like crazy wild child character starts like that but um she also doesn't know how she died yeah she doesn't remember anything about her life pre being a ghost all oh, right um and that starts coming back in flashes and it's really emotional and oh, it's just amazing. nice watching something kind of sort of uncritically because yeah i could critique it but i i've never watched a korean drama before i don't yeah. know the culture very well yeah um so it's just something completely different to what That's we usually awesome. watch and i was really surprised justin was really into it as well because it's quite hard to get him to watch anything let alone an hour-long subtitled sure. drama series sure i want to say one other thing about it which is really funny yeah um is that the ghost um uh, you see flashes of other ghosts. Yeah. And while she's a recent ghost and is just kind of like a girl in a dress yeah. and has like a slight effect on her. Yeah. Um, sometimes her um, like ring grudge style like oh. dripping nightmare ghosts like crawl into her apartment and she's just like get lost and like this is my room and like oh, okay <laughs> like slide through the wall again. That's kind of so, amazing. The way it represents ghosts is really funny. Oh, that's cool. So. I love it. How about you? Um, I am currently deeply uh, in love with uh, something that is not a change of pace for me. <laughs> um, it's season two of Critical Role. I say season two. Uh, campaign two yeah. of Critical Role is underway. At the time that this episode airs, uh, they will have had five episodes into the new season. Uh, they're in a different part of the world, all new characters and... I am really digging what they're doing. Um, everyone, I think, and I think this is the way a lot of the time when you play tabletop games, uh, second campaign, because obviously for a lot of the players in the first campaign, it was their first time playing D and D. So a lot of the characters were very, I don't want to say tropey, but like their initial framework was quite, um, I maybe want to say standard, like half elf ranger, for example, mm. or uh, a Goliath barbarian. These are sort of, solid mechanical builds that then became these amazing characters. Everyone's gone a bit more out there mm. for their characters in C uh, for campaign two. We've got uh, a tiefling trickster to main cleric called Jester, who uh, is a little blue tiefling and speaks with an Eastern European accent. And she's not very good at healing people, but like one of the ways she shows devotion to her God, who is a trickster God, is like in a bookshop, she like rearranged all the bookshelves, like the spines are facing inwards mm. and stuff like that. Uh, they've got a human wizard, which is a fairly standard build, but Caleb is a really interesting character um, who's traveling with a little goblin girl called mm. Not, uh, called Not the Brave, who wears like a little half porcelain mask to try and pass as a halfling, because obviously <laughs> goblins are, are bad. There is um, a human monk called Beauregard, uh, who's fun. We've got uh, a half-orc hexblade warlock and another tiefling, uh, a blood hunter, which is a class that Matt came up with. And it's like blood magic. And mm -hmm. Yeah, they've had their first sort of little mini arc and uh, it's really interesting to see them all at level two. They've just broken into level three and it's, it's really great to see uh one of the characters oh excuse me that's my laptop making noise <laughs> really loud that next to the microphone i'm gonna quickly set that to do not disturb 
I'm surprised that Oops. they're only in the second campaign because the amount of hours of content there are. Yeah, um, I think the first campaign, which they'd already been playing as a home game for like a year and a half, mm. about maybe two odd years on on air as 115 episodes, averaging between three and a half and five hours. <laughs> you can see why I've, I've, yeah, I've, I. I appreciate it from afar, yeah. but I'm I would, probably not diving into it. I would it. seriously say, maybe season two, what I would maybe suggest is they're releasing the episodes as a podcast. Yes. Um, and on the Thursday after, you can then catch up and listen. It might be something that works for you to have on in mm-hmm. the background. But it's it's cool to see them trying something new. Uh, Sam, who's one of the guy players, his character is a girl. And that's cool to see. Um it's very. It seems very clear that uh, Beauregard, as a character uh, played by Marisha Ray, is into women, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, there's some fun flirting going on between a couple of the male characters. Um, Molly Mock, who is the uh, tiefling blood hunter, is also pretty chill about pronouns. And um, I think there, there was a line in an episode just like, uh, "Well, the guys are going one way and the girls going the other way," and then whatever Molly is, and Molly's just, I'm fabulous. Hmm. And um, Molly Mark is played by the only, um, as far as we're a queer member of the Critical Role cast, Talison Jaffe, who's bi. Mm-hmm. So it's just nice to see them doing new things and coming in um, in a different place with them. It's, uh, it's fun and it's as inspiring as ever. And I also feel, though, that people are being more critical this time around. I just remember what the show's actually called. <laughs> Uh, but which is cool. Um, I think in the past, like the cast have been like reluctant or have been like kind of when they've gotten stuff wrong and been called on it, they can be a little bit, they aren't always the best at apologizing for stuff when they fuck up. Mm-hmm. But I feel there's an earnestness in them to do right by people, especially now that rather than their home game, uh, the one that started as a home game, they're aw- that they're going to have these characters from the beginning in the public eye. Yeah. And so I think certain choices might be made differently because while at the end of the day it is their game, it is also a thing that is packaged and sold effectively mm. to people. And as creators, you do have a responsibility, even if it is something for you first. Yeah. So if it's being something for other people to consume, then you have to be aware of that. Cool. But yeah, so that's something I'm big into right now. Um, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but um, mm-hmm. and I also haven't seen the last episode, which I know uh, came out uh, last, last ju- week. Yeah. Um, but Star Trek Discovery has been a wild ride. Uh-huh. Um, I've it's had its ups and downs, but throughout it, it's always interested me, surprised me. Um, it's very confident in a way that's quite surprising okay <laughs> um so i've star trek in general is something i'm very familiar with despite not i think i've seen every episode of the next generation several times yeah but um despite never really describing myself as a fan just because it's something my older brother was really into so sure this is the first one i've actually properly watched as it aired yeah um and it's very built around twists and cliffhangers and all that stuff so it's a very different type of show to the old ones. Yeah. Um, but I mostly watch it because the main character, Michael Burnham, is one of the most interesting female main characters of a show I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, she reminds me of... Uh, I've never actually watched Breaking Bad, but the type of male characters you get in shows where yeah. you're not supposed to agree with their choices and they make mistakes and they are... They make... St- 
ridiculous emotional choices. Mm-hmm. And I think too often female character leads are their flaw is that they're clumsy yeah. or something like that. Whereas Michael's flaw is that she's incredibly self-serving and oh, right. um, it's a real struggle for her to get out of that. Um, she's, uh, like I think we discussed before, she was raised by Vulcans, even though she's human. Yeah. So she has this kind of logical edge, mm-hmm. which is very cold. Yeah. Um, and so I've seen people saying they don't like the show because they can't warm to her, but I... I'm glad they create a character who's not designed to be warmed to. Yeah. And then I am warm to her because it happens really naturally. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm talking about it in this episode, and I think what will lead us into our discussion, yeah, is um, the show was being uh, praised for the fact that it's the first Star Trek TV show, despite um, Sulu in yeah. Star Trek Beyond. Um, to have uh, queer canonical content that's debatable, Star Trek, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. There's, there's, mm, yeah, we've been told off before yeah. for saying that there are no gay people in Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, there's, there's illusions and metaphors and... Blinking, you'll miss it. ...kind of stuff. But the first time two members of the crew have been... There is no way to miss it. There's no way yeah. to misinterpret it. Um, and... Um, I want to talk. I I want to say spoilers, but I kind of don't want to actually. I'm just going to say that the relationship has not gone in a way that has made everyone happy. Okay. Um, Star Trek Discovery, however, is a show of just constant like reveals and twists. So, and the 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 show has been very the people making the show have been very clear to like keep watching whatever. Yeah. However, some damage has been done, and I yeah. think some people feel quite hurt. Um, and that's going to be an element of what we talk about today when we talk about romance. Yeah. Um, we're not going to answer this just now, but a theme I want to talk about is: is it possible? to watch queer romance on TV without the fear, <laughs> without constant, like... Waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. Well, or, con- yeah. Or the heavy object that's going to crush our dreams. Yeah. And possibly one or both members of the romantic couple. So... So... <laughs> um, yeah, I really like the characters, and I, I'm, I'm very happy it's got a second series, because it's going at such a pace. I yeah. want it to have some time now to... Sure. Have fun and discover what show it wants to be now. Yeah. Um, so, on that topic, mm-hmm. romance in shows, love stories. Yeah. Um, I want us to look at it from queer perspective, but I do also want us to talk about uh, non-queer love stories that we like. Sure. And how maybe we'd like to see to learn lessons from those ones on how to represent queer stories. But do you, is when I talk, when I sort of suggest this topic, yeah. is there something that jumps to mind in terms of your favourite love stories? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I genuinely have a bit of a, I love rom-coms. <laughs> I like, they're cheesy and ridiculous and I genuinely enjoy them. And for all that their tropiness and their bullshit and their heteronormativity and X, Y, and Z, there is something for me I find utterly charming about watching people fall in love. Yeah. 
I mean, I love I'm first a romantic. dates. Yeah, I'm a romantic. I like... And I wish more stories like getting together wasn't the ending. I'd rather it happened earlier and then we see them together. That's interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a big sucker for that. Um, one of my... When, first thing, oh, a, a love story that I'm very invested in. One, I'm a big fan of Much Ado About Nothing, which probably <laughs> tells you a lot about the kind of stories I like. But the thing I actually quoted for my title for the episode is from Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. I adore Moulin Rouge, even while at the same time recoiling from aspects of it now that, you know, the film came out in 2001. I was, what, four, 15? Mm-hmm. So I was full of teenage hormones. <laughs> so, but I fell in love with that movie at a point in my life where the things that you fall in love with, you tend to stay mm. in love with. But it's Baz Luhrmann, so it's big and it's colourful, but it watching it, is like almost what love feels like. It's it's all encompassing and it's massive and it drowns out everything and it's over the top and it's I adore it. The songs in it are great. The love story feels so very real and potent. And while there's stuff in there I dislike because it's tropey as fuck in the bad way, I still love it. Mm. I, I still love it. It is one of my my favourite things. Um when I think about like some of my other favourite films though Love stories don't often factor into my tops. When I think about um, my favourite movies, none of them are love stories. What would you consider Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless uh, Mind? Except Eternal Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind doesn't feel kind of like a love story. It feels too true to life mm. to be a love story. But, but for, me, for me, what Eternal Sunshine is about, and now you're right to say that, considering you know that that's my favourite film, because I, I guess I don't think of Eternal Sunshine as a love story, even mm. though at its heart, that's kind of what it is. But for me, the moral of Eternal Sunshine is love can suck, relationships can suck, and they hurt. And sometimes you can go into a relationship knowing that it could crash and burn, and that's okay. Mm. So I need to rewatch Eternal Sunshine. Well, I was thinking of some of my favourite films, and a lot of them feature, I wouldn't say love stories, but relationships. Yeah. And I like it when um, you can have characters who are in love at yes. the start and at the middle and at the end. Yes. And it's not a story well, yeah, about... Yeah, the arc of their relationship is not the focus. Yeah, I mean, I quoted uh, Adam's Family Values. Yeah. Not, not, I, I quoted Debbie, Debbie. but... Uh, Morticia, Morticia and Gomez are one of the great romances yeah, of, of not, media. But it's not a love story because they're, they're in the sense that there's no progression. Mm, but that's but what's really nice. Um, they are so in love. To be honest, one of the only prequels I'd like to see is... How Morticia and Gomez met. Yeah, How They Met. Um, it would be creepy, kooky and altogether spooky, but mm. I'd love to see that. Um, and like I was thinking about Speed Racer, it's another favourite film of mine. Like, yeah. um, I like... A detail I like about the film is that when the film begins, when the film is in the middle, when the film ends, Speed and Trixie love each other, and that's all that matters. They don't have any kind of drama, drama or leaving each other kind of segments where which always a little bit, te- ooh, a, little, always a little bit tedious. Um, but so, in terms of a love story, the one I was thinking of, yeah, which I really love, is. Um, April and Andy in Parks, Parks and, Rec. and Rec. Yes. And the reason I like it so much, and I wish more shows would do this, mm-hmm. is both characters were created completely independent. Yeah. And 
so for example, I love Les- Leslie and Ben in that same series. But, but they were always going to end up together. Yeah, Ben was introduced because they thought, let's create a character that Leslie can have a love story with. Yeah. Whereas Andy was only... like So both of them shouldn't be in the show. Yeah. April is in the show because they met Aubrey Plaza at a party and says, someone needs to put her in a show. And yeah. in the first episode, she's so shoehorned in as an intern. Yeah. And they tr- and consistently on the show, they try and think of weird ways to keep her on the show. Yeah. Andy is there because he's the lover. He's not even he, lovers. He, yeah. He's a detail of Anne's storyline. Yeah. But Chris Pratt was, you know, again, one of those actors who's too good to lose from the show. Yeah. And so you have these two kind of loose end characters and what do you do with them? Like, mm. Let's see what they're like together. Mm. And there's loads of details I really like about it because they're quite mismatched. Yeah. But they're so right. Yeah. One of my favourite things I've ever seen about Andy and April is it's just like, this is what happens when a cat and a dog get together. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so good. It and is. Like, it makes so much sense. As but also, well. like the beginnings, they don't get together straight away. And like, no. but we, the way we see their relationship evolve, like where they sort of, we see them sort of falling for each other. That's what I'm saying. I've, I've never seen that done. Well, that's a lie. I I can't remember something. I've not seen it quite like that. Of yeah, the the show realizing that they're Mm. in love. Like yeah, they it's a real slow burn of Mm. you know them just making each other laugh. Yeah, it just feels so realistic. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like it hits the 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 necessary romantic storyline beats. Yeah, I think maybe because they were never they never really they or they were never the a plot like you said because Mm. it wasn't intended. It was allowed to sort of because it didn't have to be the dominant focus because it wasn't the plot line that was the lead. It could and had the space to sort of blossom, yeah, and grow under its own. And I just, I, I think it. I just, I think I like to see more of that where, yeah, it just kind of happens, but it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like it has to be the most important thing in the universe. Yes, to just have two characters end sure. up together. Sure. It's like a, a D plot of the series. Yeah. Like, and um, I think that's why sometimes I do love love stories and things. And I think yeah. it's very sweet. But sometimes when you feel yourself falling into the same routines. Yes. Like in, whenever I'm watching season one of a... It happened when um, uh, Justin's showing me all of Charmed, but when I was watching like Buffy and stuff. Yeah. Like, the season one love interest. The season one love interest, and like, and they get together, and everything's really happening quickly. And, and like, like mm. yeah, I know the se- the show is like eight seasons long. Yeah, this isn't gonna stay like this. Nah. Um, so the ones we've mentioned are, I would, cons- I said, I'd guess, are heterosexual romances in the sense I feel they involve a man and a woman. Yeah, um, which doesn't mean a heterosexual romance, but. No. Um, I think they're sort of written that way. Do you have a memory of the first on-screen queer relationship you saw? I'm not entirely sure of the dates, but I think it was probably Willow and Tara mm-hmm. on Buffy, who I still adore. Like... Uh, the way Buffy went through, like, and things that happened to its characters, and like Willow and Tara obviously falls prey to one of the big, big bads of shit done to queer characters. Yeah. But the way they, those two met and fell in love and their love for each other, 
was such a wonderful aspect of that show, which is why, how, I'm not going to, spoilers for Buffy, that show ended <laughs> forever ago. Um, after Willow is, uh, not Willow, after Tara is killed and there's no way to bring her back. Um, yeah, it's deeply distressing. And because the Willow-Tara relationship was so beloved by so many people, so, but yeah, I, I definitely think that was the first on-screen thing that I saw that was that. Was that. I think that's what's frustrating about um, the way love is written, is there's this constant need to think that love is only dramatic if they're either breaking up all, all the time or um, someone gets killed or yeah. things like that. Like, I think a love story can be really interesting if it's just the sort of natural ups and downs of a relationship. And mm -hmm. it's also interesting to watch just people like each other. Yes. Like, and stay in love. Like, yeah. that's still interesting. Yeah, one of um, my favourite elements of um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is Captain Holt's relationship with his husband, mm. Kevin. I, I love that, just, like, little stream there. Of the, we, whenever we pop into the... Because these two characters are so dry and so just sort of not outwardly... Yeah demonstrative of their love for each other but they do and it's great and oh, it's just very good i was trying to think of first time i ever saw queer love stories mm. and actually i do think part of it might be like reality television yeah um i do remember <laughs> two episodes in a row i've mentioned big brother i i don't watch any of it now but i did when i was a sort of 14 15 i was quite into it on channel four yeah and, uh, We've all done our time. It's yeah, and like I, but there's another show, and I'm going to mention this, uh, called Shipwrecked Battle of the Islands. Ah, oh, shipwrecked. Um, which is basically a way to put pretty Attractive people, people in, in swimwear. Swimwear. Two. Uh, so I think I think there was just shipwrecks, but I remember Shipwrecked Battle of the Islands, where there's two islands. Um, it's kind of like Reverse Big Brother, where someone gets added every week. Yeah, and the person would spend some time on both islands and then choose which island they want to have. Yeah. Winner gets the prize money, but they have to share it between the amount of people they have. Yeah. So. Mm. Drama. Drama. Um, and I remember just a gay person on the, and I was quite young. Yeah. Gay person on the island. And then they had like a little romance. Mm. And I remember like, that being very like inspiring to me in a way just the uh -huh. fact that like it could be on tv and that my mum could watch that and not be yeah. repulsed and leave the room yeah and i was like oh that could some like yeah it was just a turning point for me um but mm. and this is sort of embarrassing to admit um because we all retrospect we will look back on it very very differently there was a very definite time when both glee kind of series two ish yeah and like born this way coming out and stuff which was ne neither i watched you know i was i consumed both bits of media but i was never a huge rabid fan of them yeah but there was like this small half of a year where everything felt like oh, finally, things are going massively in the right direction. And I think we can sometimes poo-poo on something like Glee, but I think it was actually really revolutionary at the time. Yeah. Um, no one's saying that Glee didn't have its problems, many of them, but 
I was Curtin Blaine. Yeah, that's actually really important. Yes. Um, I think, I think char- there had been gay characters on shows before, mm. but I don't think they'd been given the amount of screen time. Mm. And I think what they did with Curtin Blaine, and I'm we're exclusively talking about the seasons we watch, which is yeah. mostly season like one and two, mm. trailing off at different points. Um, I just remember it like it kind of changed television in some ways. I feel, well, yeah, well, we have to talk about Santana and Britney as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. Br- uh, Britney was an example of a bisexual character as well. Yeah. Who uh, we saw date men, and and um, I do know that uh, Britney and Santana get married. Hmm. It's just like... All the all the kids in that get married really, really young. But. Yeah. But what I mean is, like, all the relationships are actually kind of... I say, well, the major relationships in Glee are given equal weight. Like, none is seen as yes. superior because it's a, a het relationship. Yeah. So... And, um... I don't know. I just think I... That was the first time I remember seeing mm. queer relationships done slowly, not done to shock people... Yeah. Um, and also, things like Star Trek and stuff exist in worlds where there's no homophobia, mm. and that's fine. But also, it is nice to see queer storylines which actually tackle some of the issues that only face queer people. Yeah. One thing, a relationship I feel I should mention, even though I feel the show did not do great by it, uh, Carol and Susan in Friends... Like, it was a very sexless portrayal of a relationship. I'm so unfamiliar with Friends. Uh, Carol is Ross's ex-wife. Okay. Um, They've divorced, I think, before the show starts uh, because Carol fell in love with a woman. Hmm. And, uh, but yeah, they, um, Carol and Ross had a son together and, but we meet Susan and Susan is one of the people that just hates Ross, which is why Susan (laughs) is very relatable. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I remember that. Just like, but they didn't feel like a couple very much hmm. because 90s TV, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I always, um, I sometimes call it catchphrase friends and I'll explain this why. I was watching an old episode of the, uh, on Challenge, of yeah. the old 90s game show Catchphrase uh, and the winner it's close, was this, it's right. um, <laughs> it was like, um, uh, Cat falling from storm cloud. It's good, but it's not the one. Mm. Cat and dog rain. It, it's good, but it's not the one. Anyway. Anyway. Um, the winner was this great uh, permed uh, <gasps> woman yeah. in a corduroy skirt and nice. turtleneck. And she Look. won a ho- yeah, she won a holiday. And they said, oh, and who are you going to take with you? And it's like, oh, uh, my friend Jane. And you cut to Jane in the audience with her lip ring and her... Um, denim tank top mm-hmm. and uh, she wins and they say oh come down Jane you won and they both kind of like oh. hull, hug each other's like yeah. hips and keep a distance and that's obviously very sad and I hope they're very happy together now but yeah. um, I sometimes think of that like mm-hmm. it was of the time in that time you'd see gay characters it's just, we talked about this on Gay Best Friend, where yeah. gay characters always, always had their entire life love sorted out, and they were mentoring the straights on yeah. how to achieve love, yet we never get to see their love. Yeah. Rabbit hole, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, 
David on the Facebook group, while we're talking about uh, the first queer romances we saw on screen, uh, David asked what our favourite queer romances we have in any media. Yeah, it's again, I'm trying, sort of trying to separate characters who are paired together. Yeah. And yeah, love no. stories. Yeah. But. Because this is talking about romance. Yeah. Um, I still have a lot of love in my heart for Jack and Yanto. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in, from Torchwood, just because I was so invested in that relationship and them coming together and then, again, fucking ending with one of them dying. Um, but I felt so a part of that relationship almost. Yeah, um, and that is a love story in yes, terms of... Yes, yes. That, that's like, a plot. That, yes, very much so. Um Oh man, I there's a couple of like I really like the movie um, Imagine Me and You, which mm-hmm. I've talked about on the podcast before. I really like that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's a good one. A couple of example. Um, there's a relationship. Um, the the actual play podcast Friends at the Table has a few queer pairings in it, which is great. Uh, there's this great one in season two uh, in their se- in this second season of Counterweight. Um, I won't give spoilers for it, but is uh, we get to see these two characters meet and the way they gradually fall in love and we see that play out is really lovely. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, there are two gods in uh, the fantasy seasons, uh, uh, seasons of Hyron, uh, where two of the, the gods are uh, two male gods and they were married. <laughs> and a big element of the story is uh, the way their relationship sort of kind of ended and the impact that had on the world but it's just like and not in a gays ruined the world way but rather just like it's very cool and you just don't see that yeah guys listen to friends at the table it's awesome um what about you i like sandra de Pero, but i don't need to talk about that again yeah um i i actually really like Brokeback mountain I haven't seen Brad Batman in years. I should. Watch I know it again. that's like pretty typical, but I just think it's um, some nights when you're feeling miserable. That's kind of what you need. I mean, it's yeah. not a happy film, but mm. it's it's again, it was very really important at the time. Yeah. Um, I also really like the film Weekend. Um, I feel sometimes when, as queer people and you see queer characters, if they don't completely mm. represent you as a person, yeah. you can feel somewhat disconnected. And that's kind of quite close. The characters in that are closest, I feel, to characters that feel like me. Yeah, um, It's just two guys, and one of them is a swimming pool <laughs> attendant, and the other is um, yeah. a vague artist, Yeah, and has like rants about cool. the straights and stuff. Oh, um gotta give a shout out there's a couple of pairings in this in this show that are great but uh nomi and uh animida from sensei oh yeah they're an established couple when we meet them but their love for each other is so defining of who they are as people Mm -hmm. and what um amanita is so willing to do for nomi it just makes me really happy but also lita and hernando yes they're so in love and that's again that's a love story like that's the the plot is that story of them mm. and uh through thick and thin. Yeah. And uh 
That's gorgeous and lovely. Yeah. And you just get, again, love stories um, survive on the chemistry yes. and how much the writers actually... Get it. Get it, yeah. And, like, write for those actors. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, because we all know love stories that haven't worked because, like, there's just been no chemistry between the actors. Like, you can have the best written script in the world and if there's nothing between the the actors... Hmm. then you're not going to buy it. Conversely, your script might be toilet water, but if the characters have got, or the actors have got chemistry, yeah, then you believe it. And it it's also hard to write. I mean, yeah. um, I find it really tough to write a love story in a, a comic I'm writing. Yeah. Um, and especially a queer one, because I know it's important to people, mm. but it's hard to sort of avoid tropes and stuff. Yeah. Also, if you've got one character who's amazing and like you can't yeah. match them, yeah. I maintain that no one has ever been good enough for Buffy. <laughs> like, I've not liked any of... Do you know what? The, the only love interest I've actually thought is kind of on her level... Please say Faith. N- that's a good one. Is This one's... this, And this isn't trying to me being like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do a really like obnoxiously yeah, out yeah. there answer. But the love interest she has in the non-canon film... Mm. The, like, weird... With Christy Swanson. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a character who, in a way, he sort of feels like a prototype Xander. Yeah. But it's actually quite nice seeing Buffy with someone who's a normal person, who isn't a vampire or a vampire hunter or whatever. Um, Because it's... I think they always pair Buffy with, like, more powerful men. Yeah. To show how great she is. But actually, it's really nice seeing her with, like, just a normal guy. Yeah. Um, that's kind of irrelevant. Yeah. Um, uh, but talking about these, like, our favourite queer romances, um, and given how I've already mentioned how a couple of those relationships ended, um, mm-hmm. something you briefly mentioned earlier, uh, is it possible to love a queer relationship, uh, regardless of the form of media, without the fear? I... Th- mm. I think it... Part of it is going to depend on the uh, creators. Like, I am not worried about... I mentioned Sensei. I am not worried about what will happen to the relationships. There's lots of things that I am scared for the characters for in Sensei. Yes. Don't get me wrong, but I am not scared that they're going to shoot Animator in the head so Nomi can suffer. Well, that's another thing about tone. Yes, is, this um, is true. I'm not... What I don't think in Glee, I'm expecting to see Blaine shot on the head. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm very sorry I went straight. And here's what you missed on Glee. Oh my God, I <laughs> um, I mean, I've not seen the later seasons. Maybe there you go there. But again, like, actually, I believe there is a school shooting episode. That is the episode I start watching, but yeah. they don't even go there in that one. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, it depends on tone. So like, you know, something like Star Trek Discovery, where there's a lot of um, intense sort of stuff happening. I kind of went in prepared. Yes. Um, a, a relationship I love so much is um, Greg and Angus in Night in the Woods, which yeah. is a game I mentioned before, a fox and a bear, written so well in terms of the feeling of being a gay couple in a small town. Mm-hmm. Um and it's not the kind, even though it's kind of a weird tone, I was no, I was never worried playing the game. And maybe that's a similar thing where we're talking about the the Morticia and Gomez type of relationship where they're yeah. already solid. Yeah. That they kind of come as a pair. Yes. Versus, some, like, in retrospect, 
Tara dying in Buffy is very Buffy. Yes. Like, it's horrible, but... It's also the way that straight relationships get treated. Yeah, it's kind of... And the, and the thing, you know, we know, we do this podcast, we know mm-hmm. you can't always treat queer relationships the same way you treat straight relationships because they mean something very different. Yes. Um, so I think it's possible to live without the fear, but... It de- yeah, you're right. It depends on tone and it depends on the creators. I, f- I definitely feel there has an aspect of that to it. I mean, similarly, um, in something like a film, I think it's different because... Um, I feel like a, a film is like a beginning to end yeah. film structure. And if someone dies at the end of it, it can still be an epic, lovely love story. And it's slightly different to watching a show and then a character you see every week is taken away from you because yeah. of their sexuality. Sure. Um, um, but you mentioned, you just, you literally just said it, uh, talking about the fear when it comes to the portrayal of queer relationships, does that mean that queer relationships are inherently handled differently? I think we were talking about how from our perspective, saying treating everything the same should be fair, but it isn't because mm. of the, the baggage makes it sound like it's our fault. But, yeah. I think, though, I just, I do think it's different. Like, I don't think... While I said that killing off Tara is very Buffy, I kind of don't think a the Buffy... The way it happened. I don't think a Buffy love interest would be so flippantly tossed away yeah um for her character development mm. um and though i mean you think about the way angel died well i say died was but sent then to hell and- that's like a thing buffy does that's yeah. like at the end of a season yeah. and yeah. he whatever. was evil and now he's compared not, yeah. to stray bullet yeah i i it <sighs> It's um, but then the thing is, when we talk about treating things the same, I've never seen a queer relationship done the April Andy route. No, I've just kind of like slow C plot, gentle. These characters have characters, so let's put them together. I think I remember seeing this great uh, visual of the difference between. I think it was showing like the difference between equality and fairness. Yeah, and like I think the example was a wall. Like and trying to see over it to watch yeah, a baseball yeah. game, and just like the difference between that and that is just like you can't treat people. I don't give people the exact same treatment if they're starting from a different place. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. the it, and I think that's why people the barrier gaze trope is bad because we don't have enough non-buried gays yes. to make that not seem so sub- I mean that, and that's why we have the fear largely it's the break but also just like the characters will be treated badly or will be upsetting or horrific stereotypes or mm. just generally treated unjustly or cruelly by either the plot or by other characters within the story so is part of it that they don't know what to how to write queer characters and yes because we're a completely different breed mm. I mean, I know that's a joke, but also um, I really appreciate it. Like I was talking about when queer relationships do tackle things only queer relationships tackle. Yes, there are things that are completely unique to the queer experience that are not the same. Mm. But there's a lot of things that are. Mm. Do we know? I I mentioned um, Weekend. Mm. Um, 
and they they actually comment on the facts they sort of comment on the difference between their relationship and a straight one. Oh yeah. Um, in movies, it's kind of meta. So, <sighs> going to spoil it a bit, but Go for it. Um, weekend is about two men who have a one night stand, then hang out for the rest of the weekend. One of them is leaving the country on the Monday, but didn't expect this to happen on the last sure. thing. And so they are both walking to the train station in which he's going to leave the country from. And um, he says, are we going to have a Notting Hill moment? And he says, I've not seen that film. And he says, neither have I, just kind of assumed. Yeah. Um, And they they have their final kiss at the train station. Yeah. However, it is interrupted by someone off screen shouting something at them. (laughs) And like... It's so kind of heartbreaking because their like re- sweeping romantic moment is spoiled by a straight person by society, and like it's those kinds of details you don't always want to see and stuff. But but it they make a queer romance a bit more realistic in some ways. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, sometimes you don't want sometimes you want your love your romance yeah. movies. To not be realistic. They're meant to be an idealised version of love. Mm. That's comedy. That's like that's what romance movies are. That's what romance novels are about. They're meant to be this heightened, beautiful version where no well, people have flaws but they're easily overcome or like you love someone and they aren't meant to be difficult and everything's resolved by the end and you live happily ever after. Yeah. If you're trying to do a realistic love story or a more true to life romance, then yeah, things do roads diverge but I think maybe too often we see more realistic stuff with queer characters yeah I, I there's very few examples of fluffy rom- rom-com stuff yeah that's also good yes <laughs> like, yes um so oh well should we have a tea yeah I feel like a little break We've made it to the interlude, the middle section of the show. We love you we for listening. I'm doing the little heart with my fingers to the microphone, which is lost visually, but <laughs> know that I did it. No, I did a thing. Um, someone else we love is Beastly Beverages. Ah, oh, our beloved sponsor. They create fandom and fantasy, luxury hand-blended loose-leaf teas, and tea-related geeky paraphernalia. Their business is queer-owned, all ingredients are organic, fairly traded, and almost all the products are suitable for vegans. What are you spotlighting for us? Well, today? it's still the start of the year, mm. um, and people might be trying to plan their... their the rest of the year, I know that calendars are still on sale. I feel like... Yeah, I still need to get a diary. I think calendars have a big sale period in December and then yeah. a big sale period in February when they went like, oh gotta crap, I've got to get this in yeah. order. And uh, a trend of seeing is people customising their own planets. Yeah, and bullet journaling and stuff like that. Um, I know the owner of BC Beverages is doing this and has become a big fan of uh, planner stickers, yeah. which I didn't quite understand until um, I watched the, uh, their vlog where they showed it off. And they're these cool stickers that kind of help um, divide the pages of your book you've bought. They have things that say like to-do lists and dates ah, and stuff. Handy. 
makes it all look really fun and exciting and makes you want to plan things. Yeah, who doesn't love st- and who doesn't love stickers? Everybody loves stickers. I eat stickers all the time, dude. Okay, so uh, Beastly Beverages does a number of sort of tea-themed um, sticker collections. There's a steampunk planner sticker set. Um, there are a gothic vampire one Ooh. and um, pastel dreams. Ooh, um, which Pretty. feel pastel dreams feels like my kind of one. Mm. And so there's a sticker that says T- uh, tea is always a good idea. Um, tea time. <laughs> nice. Um, and they spice things up. That's and it's awesome. one of these things is a great little thing to also slip in your shopping basket when you buy one of their uh, one of Beastly Beverages teas. <laughs> And if you want to do that... Yeah, you can head over uh, to the website, beefbeverages.com, and if you spend £20 or more, you can use the sponsor code BEVERAGEBEAST, all one word, capital Bs, and get free shipping on your order, which is great. Uh, and they yes. ship worldwide. They ship worldwide from beastybeverages.com. They also have a Patreon, a Twitter, Instagram, everything. Yeah. Um, and you should check them out. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to some of our other podcasting projects. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, we've been busy. We have our Futurama fan cast. Good news, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, which has been really fun. Um, I The episodes are meant to be short, but they keep ballooning because there's too yeah, much to Yeah, we about. should maybe try and... <laughs> um, but the, every episode so far has really introduced massive chunks of the Futurama universe. So, yeah. Um, it's been really fun to do something simple. and Yeah. Although... If you've listened to it, you'll know we also critique it from yeah, a queer perspective because we, can't, we yeah. can't help. Certain things you just can't switch off. Um, I do a podcast with Tiffany Baxter called The Poltercast, mm-hmm. uh, which now updates every other Friday. Yeah. Um, and it's a mess. Hot mess. <laughs> it's a, a cold mess. A cold, spoopy mess. Um, and it's kind of fun. Like, we don't have a structure. We, are me- we basically tell each other ghost stories we've researched um although sometimes they're not even ghosts related um and we also take submissions from people and the most common thing we hear is i don't know if mine's spooky enough i'm like it's not about that yeah we got one submission which was just like i'm i'm my house is near a well and i'm scared (laughs) like that's great yeah um but it's really fun to do and uh we uh we also look at horror films from a um the perspective of if that were us what would we do oh i like that um, i like so that a lot it's really fun cool um and lastly i want to mention um it's been a long time in the works i've had like uh, i've struggled with some depression recently so i've not been very productive on it but the actual play podcast that uh, hamish is also a part of that i host and gm and edit Um, there will be consequences Uh, that should be going live at the end of this month that is my hope that it will be at least the first episode will be completely edited and mixed and have music and sound lovely and I'm really excited to put it out there into the world and I hope people enjoy it but uh, yeah I'm sure there'll be retweets and stuff (laughs) but yeah it should hopefully be a couple of weeks away by the time you hear this episode well, actual play podcasts are a massive passage, passion of you, and it's really exciting That'll seeing make... this as the kind of culmination of <laughs> all of that. And uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, and just shout out very quickly: the best character in it is Carter Kildare. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know who plays that one, but uh, they're just amazing and great. And <laughs> I can't wait to see all the fan art of them. 
Um, <laughs> oh, right. Uh, I feel you should finish your drink. And, uh, <laughs> we should get uh, back to talking about romance. Thank you. So, let's get a little deeper. Yeah. Um, so, what types of... We said that we don't see many fluffy queer romances, but are there any other types of romance you don't tend to see with queer characters? Most. Most, or, yes. Um, no, no, I, you do not see um, particularly young characters. Like, things like mm. My Girl and oh, stuff yeah. like that. I'd love to see something like that with young kids because there's still a massive, massive, massive problem uh, with queer relationships being seen as inherently sexual. Yeah. And so uh, kids can't know about it. But I would love to see, um, or kids can't be shown doing that because that's an adult kind of feeling and I'm I, googling mm. it because the closest thing i can mm, maybe that's not right there was a sitcom a few years ago on bbc2 um All right. called something beautiful okay uh but it was kind of about that it was a little bit like one of those sitcoms where the narrator is old and they're narrating their childhood oh okay well um, that's cool beautiful people it was called all right nice um and it was um about a 13 year old boy okay cool um, and his best friend and they're very camp and yeah but it's like I had to google a yeah. one thing I vaguely remember not watching mm. but yeah uh, young couples also older couples yep. like um, to be fair like people say oh you don't really see that with Ryan but no you do like there's actually quite a lot of films that's got like characters in their like 50s and 60s and 70s mm. like rediscovering love or blah 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 you don't really get to see that with queer couples yeah I love uh, Grace and Frankie <sighs> Um, does I mean, that. yes, that's one example. <laughs> yeah, um, and it, I, I, I've mentioned it before, but I like it specifically because it uh, doesn't just say how wonderful they are. They are also kind of flawed people yeah. who've done bad things. Um, but yeah, oh. I agree. And also, when you talk, and it happened recently when trying to argue, and it's what we're going to do in part two of this yeah. Valentine's sort of theme. Yes. But when trying to argue with people why queer characters should be in things, yes, they don't realise how many straight relationships are in it. They say, yeah. oh, it's not important to the storyline. And like, that character has married grandparents. That character yeah. has married parents. Those count. Um, we're sorry. We, we, we're bringing the cat in. He's being very vocal. Not waiting he, his... He just cares so much about queer representation. <laughs> not waiting his turn for the microphone. <laughs> um, yeah, like, straight characters are actually everywhere, not just in the love stories. Yeah. And I think people forget that. And um, I, I like it when we're the focus, but it's also important to just be part of the tapestry of, oh, my, pa- yeah. my dads do this, my mums do this, my... Like, that's also important. But yeah, like... Any kind of trope, like divorced characters getting too fall in love, uh, interclass yeah. relationships, um, all kinds. It's just, we are in the world, and if we're not in your, like, obviously not everything, it's fine if your film has one character in an Arctic base, but, you know, if, if you're making a TV show set in the real world with multiple characters, it becomes more and more odd if we're not part of that and this is seems like i've said this in every single episode mm. um 
But yeah, different kinds of romance is interesting. Yeah. And stories as well. I mean, I suppose the, the advantage of not seeing queer couples in everything <laughs> is that you don't fall afoul of some of the bad romance tropes. or like True. Su- It's not to say that there aren't bad tropes that gay couples get to full prey of, like, you know, predatory lesbians mm-hmm. and stuff like that, or both, like, magical queers and stuff like that. But we don't tend to have as many examples of, like, relationships that are basically stalking mm. and, and stuff like that. So I suppose there's an advantage to be found in that, which is nothing. It's nothing. It's interesting, it's nothing. though. I am... Um, uh, oh, God, I had a good point. <laughs> um, oh, so there yes. are actually some tropes that are very specific. Well, not tropes, but things I've seen a lot. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. Um, Grace and Frankie have done it this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lee did it with Kurt and Blaine. Yeah. Um, and I also think uh, uh, one of my favourite shows, Please Like Me. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned before, Australian sitcom about being gay and yeah. mental health and stuff. Sure. Um, is almost every long-running gay storyline on TV always has to tackle the open relationship thing. Yeah. Um, so a lot of male, I'm only speaking from the point of view I know, uh, gay slash MLM relationships, um, are open or have elements of that or what have you. Sure. And I've seen a lot of shows discuss this. Yeah. And almost always they realise that's not for them. Yeah. Um, it's always the episode where they, oh, let's try this. Oh, it didn't work for us, jealousy and sadness. Yeah. Fine, that happens in the real world. But going forward, it would be nice to see that where it's not an issue. I'll tell you what's a trope that I would like to stop seeing between straight couples and between queer couples is bisexuality being a scary threatening thing yes i'd like to i'd like that to not be a thing please yeah i mean it's it it's one of those things where that people in the real world do see it as scary yeah um but it, oh i know but like do you really want to i don't need that in my romance i don't need that in my nice rom- romance movie mm. um i agree um, I also would like to see, I, I personally, because maybe I'm a bit selfish, I'd like to see more male characters be bisexual as well. Yes. Um, I don't think you see it as much. And I think... Yes, in our in our not exactly large amount of bisexual characters, nearly every bisexual character that we see is a woman. Who is normally with a man. Can I... This is not a spoiler, I don't think. There's in, but for Black Mirror, mm-hmm. there is an episode... Of Black Mirror, season four, yeah. called Hang the DJ. Good title. Um, yeah, it, it... Cat is now out. Um, and we're so proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Hang the DJ. Um, I'll try and be as spoiler-free as possible, but you see a montage of the two main characters, one man and one fe- uh, woman, um, in a variety of relationships. Okay. And all of them are with... Uh, all the male relationships were with women and all the women's relationships are with men except for one who was with a woman. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I thought it was interesting that it was only one. Yep. I thought it was interesting that it was the woman who yeah. had a relationship with a woman. Um, and that's like one of the tiny few moments where I thought, oh, it would have been kind of interesting if that had been the man. Yeah. Because I feel, the, but I think the reason it wasn't is because I do feel the majority of an audience would think of him way differently. Yeah. Whereas with the woman, I don't think people would feel different about her. Yeah. And I don't know if that's my own perception. No, I, I think you're... I think but I think when right. writing that, I think... I think women are... Please, no, I have air quotes. Don't, don't at the size. You can see them from space. Don't at Hamish. Um, I do think women are expected to experiment. Yeah. And or it's seen as a, it's not, you know, that's something that some girls do before yeah. they settle down with a nice husband. Whereas I do think with a man, it's considered forever like, wait, what? You did that? Yeah. Um, which makes me sad because I just, I, I'm very, I, I feel there's lots of men who don't actually know they're bi in the world. Yeah. Anyway, um, we, we've talked a little bit about, touched on bisexuality, but... There are other aspects of our giant queer quilt, quilt that yeah. are lucky to even be mentioned in passing. Yes. Um, things like polyamory, asexuality, and love stories of trans characters. Mm-hmm. Um, although we did mention Sensei. Yeah. Um, There's also um, a film I really... I, I, I cannot remember the title of it, and it's bugging the crap out of me. I saw it on Netflix. It's uh, about a, a trans woman, um, played by a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Um, who sort of, it's about like her childhood best friend, like realizing he's in love with her mm-hmm. and her sort of falling in love with him. It's, it's a very sweet film. Oh. Um, and I, I really liked it and I will endeavor to check what it is, um, <laughs> and try and put a link to it. But, uh, I remember, I think I saw about it on Tumblr. Somebody mentioned just like this, this, uh, showing of trans body, uh, a trans woman's body in a non-sexualized, but un- utterly unapologetic. Yeah. This is a trans woman. Mm. And uh, it's a really good movie. Very yeah. sweet, very small, quiet little indie movie, which tends to be how these things go. Um, but as for the other representation, I feel it's you're going to maybe see it in as an episode of another show as a kind of foreign concept. Yeah, I mean, polyamory, there's Rita Sue and Bob too. Mm-hmm. There's elements of that, which I believe is currently having a play version in the... Royal Court, which I really would like to see before that stops. Um, I think the film's called Bandits. It's Kate Blanchett, Billy Bob Thornton and Bruce Willis. And it's like heavily implied that she's sort of with both of them by the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, but again, that's not really a triad because I think it's fairly clear that the two guys aren't. But that's still an example of polyamory. Yeah, I mean, it would be, I just would be interesting to see a love story. Um, and you just think like... <sighs> We are, as queer people, we're in many ways untapped resource of original storylines. Yeah. And yet... Because you can are, give us the most tired tropes that you've heard again and again and again, but suddenly it's between three people or four people or between a trans person or somebody who's ace. And suddenly hmm. it's different. It's it's a bit of a funny gag I see in discussion boards, just like, I am so sick of this trope. Oh, wait, it's between lesbians. <laughs> oh, well, in that case... Yeah, I'm, I'm very prone to that. Yeah, no, um, same. But, I mean, it's the way to get me invested in something. Yeah. You think you know this story, but now it's gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, leading on to that, um, 
were we to write a romantic mm. film, Man. would you, like, other things you'd really like to see? Um, well, obviously, they wouldn't, the court, the A plot would not be the only queer couple in it. Mm-hmm. There'd probably be lots of queer couples in it, all judging and offering their advice, hmm. because that's what friends do. Yep. <laughs> there would just be lots of incidental couples in the background and single folk and all manner of things it would be charming and it would be fumbly and it would be awkward Mm. and i would like a lesbian couple where one of them basically looks like colin firth in bridget jones's diary (laughs) that would be nice i would like that very much i i would just like to see some of my i would take some of my favorite tropey characters and make them gay make Mm. them queer uh, that would be what. See, if I was writing it, it'd probably involve a theatre company, like a small mm. Amdram theatre company, and somebody's come back having like tried to make it in London or abroad as a professional actor and has come home and it's just like. Ugh. See, I sometimes go. I I would love that, mm. and also my my the way I write and my sensibilities is to go kind of in the other direction and go massive sweeping romance across the the ages and the stars and that stuff would be like fun. that, like. Both are good. Both good. <laughs> um, Both. Yeah, I... I Both I, is good. I just think... Yeah. If you write a love story, it can feature every trope and mm. reuse thing in the book, but make it queer and it's instantly interesting. Yeah. Shout out to a film that is so close to being canonical queer representation where they had to back off at the last minute because it's a kid's movie, Road to El Dorado. Oh, right, yes. Which is... So very, very queer for the mm. most part. Like they had to make a couple of script changes. Uh, but yeah, Tulio and Miguel, Miguel and Tulio, great and powerful gods. <laughs> uh, but their relationship, and then they meet Chell, and there's just watch Road to El Dorado yeah. and, and, and enjoy because it really is a great movie. Mm. But uh, yeah, and there's a horse. <laughs> Did you think it would end like this? The horse is a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So to the listeners. Yeah, let's go to the no box vox pop portion of the show. I think we should um, do a theme song every time. Should we? I, I could edit in a, a, a snippet, or we could just do vague <laughs> remixes of it. Well, we've done it now, so we're, we're here. We're in it. We're uh, in it. We have um, two questions from Frankie on our Facebook group, uh-huh. and they ask: um, Valentine's for us queers is hell. How the hell do you get the nerve to send a gay Valentine's and survive the straight apocalypse that is commercial Valentine's? Um, do you like Valentine's Day? Uh, I've had a couple of pleasant experiences with it. It's not something I tend to make a big deal about with my partner. No. As somebody, I I don't feel I need one day a year to be romantic. I'm the sort of person that will like maybe do something nice for my partner like sporadically. Because it's so commercialised, but I also like the history of what St. Valentine's Day is meant to be about. Mm. And I think there's something wonderful in that. I will How take any excuse for a meal or yes. some chocolate. If somebody gives me flowers, great. If someone gives me chocolate, um, great. A cuddly toy, great. Colours, I think the lovely. way it's like forced on people at school is a bit weird. Yeah, that's a bit strange. Um, and I don't, I don't like that, but I think it's... I think it's fair enough to just... I, I get you love them every day of the year, but I get the, like... Yeah, it's sometimes fun. It's a nice to have an extra day that isn't a birthday or an anniversary or something where you yeah. can just be like, hey, want to... Yeah. Even if you just, like, order takeaway or something. Like, yeah. 
But uh, to Frankie's question, uh, one, I feel like it, I think it can also suck a little bit for everyone, just like performative romance. Yes, exactly. Like the, I think the commercialization of the commercial Valentine's Day is shitty for everyone. I think it becomes that bit worse when you're a minor, in the minority and therefore the act of sending a Valentine becomes braver. Mm. You're putting yourself out on a limb much more. I mean, I will say that the tides are changing regarding commercial Valentine's Day. Like, Mm. I was in a card show, I think, before Christmas, so it's slightly different, but I saw, like, in the cards, just, like, to my son and his husband. Yeah. And, like, it's changing, and that's... I mean, yeah, from an utterly, like... (laughs) Um, uh, yeah commercial point it's like it makes sense for card companies to do it because people have money to spend yeah I'm I, I feel similarly like I I appreciate when people put queer people as part of their advertising yes and it's not you know I don't technically I work for an advertising studio so yeah. I I've, I have a slightly different perspective on the whole commercial world and yes all that stuff but um, you know I I I like when Lush put out its it's like Valentine stuff and it's yeah. very evenly spread on the kinds of couples they show. There's a mattress company that advertises on Facebook yeah. and um, they have one they have a video of two men getting out the mattress and then jumping on it. Yeah. And um, I w- clicked on the comments yeah. waiting to be pissed off and like none of them were bad. Everyone's just like, hey, yeah. I like this mattress. Oh, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think... I have not answered the question no, at all. Like the thing is, like I feel like if it's if you're sending it to somebody you know is also queer, it's just the usual social anxiety of uh, if it's not somebody you're already in a relationship with. Oh yeah, it, I think, I think. Sorry. No, I'm just saying it's. I think it's scary regardless, and it's just the the that added aspect of that possible rejection becomes worse, especially there's the fear that somebody might react badly uh, if you don't know if they or even the same orientation as you. I also think Valentine's Day is not something you should ever be pressured to take a no. part of. I mean, there's there's days of the year, there's things like, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day that aren't always easy. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to take part, don't. And also don't feel pressured to make Valentine's Day the day in which you confess your love to someone. Um, think of something maybe yeah. somewhere less forced. I've just realised that how the hell do you get up the nerve? Maybe don't get really drunk and do it. <laughs> maybe don't um but i feel like we've got a great tradition as queer folk of being fumbly and awkward mm. so you know maybe lean into that yeah that's always appealing <laughs> but um, yeah getting up the nerve to do stuff uh i am the wrong person to ask. <laughs> we both are um but yeah no don't feel any pressure to do it or yeah. take part um i think it's always nice to surprise someone on a day that isn't valentine's day with yeah. flowers and yeah treat them nice um there's a second part to this question mm-hmm um, <laughs> I realised that it's pretty... Uh, okay, so they said that that question was pretty serious and not cheery and geeky, so to lighten up, which fictional character would you send a Valentine's to if you could? Oh, man. That's a fun question. I kind of want to send one to Ralph Wiggum, because I feel like he still needs oh. one. I choo-choo-choose him. Um, Bless. Who do I... There's a character in uh, the current season of Friends at the Table called Even Gardner, who is an older guy who's sort of got this weird xenomorph weird shit happening to his body. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get nearly as much ship love as some of the other characters. I would definitely send him a Valentine because he deserves it. He's like awesome. Also, actually, 
most of the cast of their current season, I would totally send a Valentine to. I'm going to send a Valentine's card to um, uh, Michelle, the concierge character from Gilmore Girls, because even though they kind of like hand wavily mention he has a husband in the recent Netflix series, for like six, seven seasons of Gilmore Girls, he is very... Very queer coded, yeah, and we never get any hint at his love life at all because the show I feel is too scared too, yeah. And I want to like inject some queerness into that show, hell yeah, and take him out on a date. I love um, it. I love it. Oh man, who else? I feel like I'm gonna mm, 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 pressure. Ah, uh, damn it. Maybe Farah from Dirk Gently. She hmm. looks like she would enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, we also got a question from Jack. On the Facebook group. Cool. Um, who said, because Valentine's has always felt a forced moment in the calendar, what are some moments of forced romance you two can think of? There's one that always jumps to my mind. Yeah. Um, which is Ant-Man, strangely enough. Yeah. Not a favourite film of mine, but a film where the principal relationship between um ant-man and mm. uh i think it's scott yeah and, and no hope hope, yeah. hope is and they, they do not like each other yeah and they are constantly pissed off with each other yeah and I that makes for good yeah i i don't i don't like the way hope's treated in the kind of narrative of the film where like hmm this incredibly competent person who knows mm. the mission and everything and they have a costume ready for her to go but mm. the dad wants to keep her safe That's yawn it. the trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp looks boss yes they. I feel like <laughs> finally bring, yeah, we can like, have fun now yeah um but like they don't like each other, no. and then like the film, ha- they they open the door to them and they're kissing, and they're like, "You're Why? from a different draft." Like what the f- mm, um, no? And it's like that felt very nineties or very like. I will say the Marvel Cinematic Universe has got a whole bunch of this. Also, Civil War. Yeah, like uh, Cap and Sha- uh, Sharon Carter. Yeah. Uh, Bruce and uh, Natasha. Yeah. Clint and his wife. It's all very, like, forced. And the thing is, when... when I'm trying to think of a, a good romance. Like, Iron Man and... Uh, so, Tony, Tony and Pepper. Pepper is, like, earned. Yes. Um, and that's, like, given the time. And um, Steve and Peggy in the first one is, like, it's given time. Yeah. It's when they try and cram it into a... Into yeah. A, Any kind of romance subplot. Mm. frequently feels... If it's with the main characters who've got more important stuff to be doing, the romance can frequently feel forced. I'm trying to think of any examples of, like, where it's not just a B slash C slash D plot, but rather it's more of a a prominent thing, maybe where there's just, like, lack of, like a lack of chemistry or a lack of the right kind of chemistry. Well, I think, think I people had a problem with Thor and Jane. Mm. Um... I like the character of Jane. Mm. I think until the third film and outside of the Avengers films, working out why Thor was interesting was a little bit tough. Yeah. Um, and that was very, pro- that was like central to the plot of the films is like giving up everything for this, for yeah. Jane. Um, so I'm kind of glad they got rid of that. Yeah. Um, 
there's there's some it's there's more often relationships feel forced than not. Yeah. Um I think that's true. Are there any like queer romances you feel are forced? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure there are some which is like, oh, let's put these two characters together because they're only the, the well, only gay characters. Do you feel... I was never actually that negative towards it, but I watched Buffy way later. And what do you feel about Willow and... Kennedy. Kennedy. I felt like maybe that was moving on too fast. That's, yeah. if, that's where it rankled, but I was one of the people still reeling from Willow and Tara. As a person who is watching it long after the fact, yeah. I thought it was interesting to... It felt like more confirmation of Willow's sexuality because yeah. I think like I found the dynamic interesting enough, um, but it, also she was boring and annoying. <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like things where ro- they aren't romance stories and then they try to put romance in it frequently kind of falls a bit. Also, yeah. I hate it when they um, turn their dating mm. into the love of my life. I don't know what to be without them. <sighs> Um, earn that shit don't yeah it, it's it's kind of really strange um, I quite liked Danny Pink more than most Doctor Who fans but yeah all in all they seem like her and Clara the companion seemed to be sort of dating mm. and then by the end of a season it's like but I can't live without you and you're like what? what? <laughs> you've known each other a month yeah um, conversely I felt Bill's relationship, um, and I still can't remember the pilot's actual name. Heather. Heather. That I liked. That felt organic, and then when Heather reappeared, mm. I liked it. It felt... But again, that it didn't necessarily feel like love of my life. It felt more like the potential of yeah. love. Which Some is... of the River Doctor stuff feels pretty forced. Mm. But I think that's because Alex Kingston has got a very thankless job of trying to have chemistry with very different people. Yeah. I also think I she's more interesting as a mystery and not working out their relationship. Yeah. And when the reveal is they love each other, it's, like, it's yeah. kind of, okay, but mm. now you just have to play that. Yeah. Um, despite the fact I've, I've enjoyed her chemistry with, I actually really loved um, her with Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Um, but, you know, happy to be out of that. Yeah. Um, so if they want to bring Alex Kingston to float, float with Jodie Whittaker's character. <laughs> Have you seen the video of Alex Kingston finding out who's cast? Yeah. And she just goes, ooh. <laughs> and she says, like, God, I'm such a cradle snatcher. <laughs> Alex um, Alex Kingston is a gift. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, there's a lot of examples of false romances, but those ones that come to mind. I think it's because quite frequently, um, a love interest is seen as the reward for a hero. Yes. I think that trope is still very dominant in Western storytelling. And so it pops up a lot. It's one of the reasons why Hamish and I are such big fans of Pacific Rim is because you don't have that trope. Two, yeah, there's two examples I like that the storyline's about, it's one of, so both, Obviously, Pacific Rim's sequel's gone in a different direction, but I remember thinking, I'm fine if they now date. Yeah. But I'm happy with that being a, a second film thing. Yeah. And not be part of the storyline for the characters. And I also am I'm sort of impressed that whatever they're doing with Star-Lord and Gamora is being very slow-burned, yes. if at all. Yes. Um, she's never seen as... I think she's a little underwritten, but I don't think she's a reward for him in any no. way. 
though, which is interesting because a lot of the commentary around Gamora's treatment of Peter from entitled straight fanboys is mm. like, why doesn't she just love him? And just like, yeah, yeah, no. Um, but yeah. I think that's... Um, I don't want to force this episode to be any longer. <laughs> but we are going to keep talking about love next time. Yes. Um, we're going to be taking things away from canon and into the world of shipping. Yes. Which... Um, Our own take on the shipping broadcast. Shipping forecast is <laughs> yes. coming. Um, so if you'd like to get involved in that, um, please, please feel free to contact us and also send us questions to us at any time because we're going to stick questions at the end of our episodes even now. if they aren't don't necessarily relate to what we've been talking if it's an interesting question we'll be happy to talk about it it also might work for us to have a little cool down from the topic yeah especially sometimes if we get bed. quite serious yeah we do, that we do. Um, so if you'd like to do so go to uh, <laughs> send an email at boxnotincluded at gmail.com we're also on social media we're boxnotincluded on twitter tumblr and we have a very thriving facebook group at boxnotincluded uh, also, and you can, uh, feels all done a bit strangely. You can also contact us directly via Twitter. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at JDoxForDrows. And finally, as always, shout out to Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, Master of the Sound Waves. He composed our theme music and he helps produce the podcast. And that is Loki, <laughs> the studio cat. Have you fed him? Is there something he wants? He just wants attention. He wants canon queer representation in media. He does, and he won't stop meowing until he gets it. <laughs> but until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. Don't let anybody box you in. It's the one theme song you just cannot sing along to. I love it, but I just can't.